Good evening, everyone. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the interns here at the church. And um, tonight we're going to continue our series, Questions People Asked Jesus. So if you would please turn to Mark 8, we're going to find the disciples asking Jesus the question, how can one feed these people with bread in this desolate place? This evening we're going to consider how we are like the disciples and how Jesus is unlike us. Our main point is this. In our inadequacy, look to Jesus. The outline for tonight is threefold. We'll consider our inadequacy, our uncertainty, and lastly, the sufficiency of Christ. So inadequacy, uncertainty, and sufficiency of Christ. Before we jump into the passage, it's important to consider some background. A central theme to this chapter is that of blindness. The disciples and the crowd, and, and the crowd are blind apart from Christ. It is helpful to have this theme of blindness in the back of our minds as we consider the disciples in their situation. The rest of our context is fairly straightforward from the text. So starting in verse 1, let's read through verse 4. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? So right away we can see the problem that's before the disciples. A crowd has gathered, it's numbered in the thousands, and they have nothing to eat. Verses 3 and 4 tell us that they were in danger of fainting and that there's no place for them to buy bread because they're in a desolate place. But fortunately for this crowd, verse 2 tells us that Jesus has compassion on them. He has a deep awareness of, their, of the suffering of the people and he wishes to relieve it. He sees their need. Here we see how Jesus is tender towards those who are in trouble. His heart is for the weak and the weary. Now in verse 4, the disciples answer Jesus, how can one feed these people with bread in this desolate place? You can immediately sense the hopelessness in their question. There's too many people and they're too far away from a town. You can almost hear the disciples answer him back, what do you expect us to do about it? The disciples realize they're not up to the task. This is a problem that is too big for them. They're completely inadequate. So here's our first consideration the inadequacy of the disciples. They understand they're, they're powerless to provide for this amount of people in this short amount of time. This is an impossible situation with no clear answer of what to do. Like the disciples, we too are facing situations regularly that feel and seem insurmountable. What are the situations that make you feel inadequate? Maybe it's, it's pressure at work, having to take on a new role, new responsibilities, Perhaps you're needing to comfort someone who is in deep pain, who is grieving. Maybe it's, it's reaching the nations. And if it's not, it should be. How can we reach the nations, learn all of these languages, cross cultural barriers and do all of this in the face of the coronavirus, in face of government resistance? When and where do you feel like there is nothing that you can do when all is lost, and all is hopeless. 
I think it's funny how our inadequacy works. We're immediately assuming the worst. Pessimism and faithlessness thrive on our inadequacy. Inadequacy makes positive outcomes seem impossible. Of course, we tell ourselves, this family member will no longer talk to us if we share the gospel with them, or I'll damage this relationship if I talk to this friend about their sin. We stop trusting God and become consumed with negative thinking. So how do you deal with the inadequacy in your life? Do you panic? Are you, are you tempted to give up? Where do you turn when life gets hard? I think it's really easy to be pessimistic. As an ex- expert in pessimism myself, I can assure you inadequacy expresses its soul, itself in all sorts of negative, faithless thoughts. We tell ourselves, I will always struggle with this sin. I'll always be depressed, lonely, unlikable, unlovable. I'll never see people come to Christ. Maybe my marriage will never improve. It feels more like a war than a friendship. My kids will never obey. I can't keep my temper with them. The list goes on and on. Our inadequacies are as many as the sand on the seashore. Therefore, we must look to Jesus because Jesus died and rose again for us inadequate sinners. He paid the penalty for our inadequacy for our sin. We need to, we respond to our inadequacy and sin by trusting and obeying Jesus and his commands. We need to be honest about our shortcomings and open-handed with the Lord about our desires. What are you desiring more than Christ? Is your posture with the Lord one of trust? Do you trust him to improve your marriage? Do you trust him to provide? Are you asking him for help? Or are you going through life relying upon your own wisdom and knowledge and strength? I think we also need to set our mind on the things that are above. We have no reason to be pessimistic because of Christ's work in the gospel. Our eternal state has been secured by him. Treasuring our future in Christ eliminates pessimism in the present. I think in addition, practically, we need to be patient with other inadequate sinful Christians around us. Everyone else, they're struggling with their own problems, with their own sin, their own suffering. We can demonstrate patience by overlooking offenses and being gentle towards them. The Lord has been exceedingly patient with us. Let us follow his example and be patient in return. I think next, practically, we need to pray through our daily schedules. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing we should, we should do is to depend upon the Lord and show our reliance upon him. We are incapable of living a life that is pleasing to the Lord in our own strength. So you need to ask God for the grace to, to live a life that is pleasing to him with the day's tasks, whether it's business meetings or getting lunch with someone. You can ask God that he would use you to encourage whoever you come in contact, in contact with that day. We also just pray for humility. Like the disciples, we are inadequate. We're reminded of our inadequacy on a daily basis. We need food and water and sleep. We are never in a state of completion. God so created all of us that life is structured to show us our need. The Bible portrays people as the neediest of all animals, sheep. Sheep are timid. They're fearful. They're definitely not smart. They go about their business in a self-destructive manner. It should sound familiar to us, 
Because like sheep, we are fundamentally inadequate. When we sin, we are pressing the self-destruct button. That is what we are doing. Thus, we should ask God to use our inadequacies to humble us, to make us rely upon him all the more, the good shepherd. Finally, we're all inadequate in a great eternal sense. So for my non-Christian friend, do you know yourself to be inadequate? That you have fallen short of God's holy standard? He demands perfection, a life without sin and perfect obedience. He wants us to love him perfectly always. But this is impossible. We're incapable of loving God first and foremost every second of every day because we love ourselves. Consider this. The only people in heaven are the ones who know that they are inadequate. We should also sympathize, sympathize with the disciples' inadequacy. Picture yourself there. You're surrounded by thousands of starving people. You're in the hot desert sun. Children complaining, babies crying. You can see the concerned faces of the mothers. There's no relief in sight. The disciples were in a hard situation. This led to their problems becoming big and their view of God small. So they let their circumstances control them, which led them to doubt how they can meet the needs of the people. They were doubting even with Jesus right there with them. So this leads to our next point, uncertainty. You can hear the uncertainty and doubt in their question. How? How can we possibly meet the needs of these people? They can't picture how Jesus can possibly provide for all of them. Which is interesting because this is the feeding of the 4,000, which comes two chapters after the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6. They've already seen Jesus perform this, this same miracle. So why are they doubting? I think this comes back to the theme of blindness that is central to this chapter. The disciples were blind to the reality of Jesus being the Christ, of Jesus being God. Their blindness is unbelief. Their, their unbelief in turn led them to doubt Jesus. I've often thought to myself, I wouldn't doubt God if you would just give me a sign. Surely I wouldn't doubt him if I could, I could see his miracles performed with my own eyes, if I could touch it with my hands. But as we see here, the disciples were still doubting. The reality is no amount of miracles can free us from our unbelief. Due to the effects of sin, our hearts are, are hardened, our minds are darkened. Therefore, we doubt because we are sinners. In fact, doubt is natural to all of us in our fallen state. Some of us may feel alone in our doubt. We're tempted to believe we're the only ones who are struggling with it. Everyone around us looks so composed, like they've got it all together. But friends, I can assure you, you are not alone in your doubt. Ever since the beginning in Genesis 3, human beings have doubted. As Garrett mentioned this morning, the echoes of, did God really say, still hold sway in our hearts. So we need to be on guard because our doubts are deadly. They incentivize us to disobey God. Doubt is the opposite of faith. So we need to know how to respond to doubt. So first I would encourage you as you go home, and you, you find some time alone, be honest with the Lord. Cry out to him with your unbelief. Tell him what is on your heart, how you are, are doubting his, his character, his promises. Be persistent in your pleas for, for help. I think next you can, you can ask others for help. Talk to other, other believers. If you don't vocalize your doubt, it's, it's only gonna get worse. The Lord uses one another to encourage faith. And think on the other hand, if someone comes to you with their doubts, how should you respond? 
Jude one twenty two says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Just as Christ has been merciful to you, so are you to be merciful. If a person confides in you, realize that you've been given an awesome opportunity. It's like taking a flower that's been bent at the stem. You have a chance to make it straight again. You want to be tender and gentle. Most people just need someone that will listen to their doubts. Doubters are greatly helped simply by having a friend listen and pray with them. Lord knows how many times I've told the other interns what I'm doubting and struggling with. Now every time I've come away helped as they point me back to the truth, as they've listened to my concerns. And think lastly, we need to consider the promises of God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you doubt your salvation and you are struggling for assurance, consider Christ crucified on your behalf. The worst things that we've ever done make us doubt that God could possibly love us. But he assures us our sin will not be used against us. We will always struggle with doubt if we think God's love and care for us is based off of whatever we do. Treasure in your heart that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Remember that one day our faith is going to be made sight. We will no longer doubt once we've gone to be with the Lord. So thus far we've seen how the disciples, they're in an impossible situation. They are inadequate. They're doubting. They're uncertain. They can't possibly provide for these people. Let's read in verses 5 to 10 how to see Christ as sufficient. So verse 5. And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Here Jesus goes above and beyond. He provides a miracle meal that leaves the people satisfied. He demonstrates his power and provision by multiplying the bread and the fish to meet the needs of the people. But Jesus has more than physical sustenance in mind. Yes, the people need bread, but more than that, they need the living bread from heaven. John 6:51 says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the bread which the crowd, the disciples, all of us really need. We eat of this bread by faith in Christ. In his compassion for his people, Jesus gave up his body to be broken on our behalf. He lived a perfect life for our inadequacies. He atones for our sin. Jesus has done what we cannot do. In effect, Jesus makes the inadequate more than adequate. He transfers to us his perfect record of obedience. There's nothing so bad that we can do that can take this away. Friends, it's, good, it's a good thing that we are inadequate. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The blessing of our inadequacies is that they, they show us our need for Christ. Jesus came to save the sick, not the healthy. When we realize we are inadequate, when we realize our need, 
then we have taken the first step towards right relationship with Jesus. If we're not aware of our need, we'll never have cause to repent and turn away from our sin. So we should be thankful for our weaknesses, for they highlight the sufficiency of Christ. What's more is that God delights in using the inadequate. He used a shepherd in Amos to bring judgment. He used some fishermen to turn the world upside down. God uses the weak because they depend upon him for everything. The Lord can and will use even you in your weakness. Not only does Christ redeem the inadequate, he extends mercy to the doubter. Our doubt is sinful unbelief, but the good news for us is that Jesus died for all sin. This includes our doubts. Even when we doubt his existence, the, the righteousness of Christ still covers us. What a comfort it is to know that our worst doubts are forgiven by God. When you're despairing in the deepest valley of doubt, when you want to give up, when you're doubting God's presence, when you feel abandoned, unloved, unchristian, remember that the Lord is near, that he does not deal with us according to our sins, that he doesn't deal with us according to our doubts. Our persistent doubt makes us feel like we're not saved. This is one of the, the worst doubts that we can possibly have, the fear that comes with that. But we shouldn't live life based off of our emotions. Our emotions are fallible. They deceive us. The truth is, the grace of the Lord Jesus is greater than even our most severe doubt. Lastly, Jesus comforts doubters. A smoldering wick he will not quench. Picture a candle in a dark room, the flame representing our faith. The flame flickers, the darkness is closing in, the light seems to dim. It seems just a matter of moments before the room will be encompassed in complete darkness. But Christ will not let that flame expire. He will hold you fast. Jesus comforts doubters. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. We should conclude. We're in trying times. The end doesn't seem to be in sight, so we doubt. Though our inadequacy abounds, it gives us cause to worship because of the work of Christ. We must remember that the Lord is in the heavens, that Christ is sufficient. He sits upon the throne. All of our trials and afflictions, they're but light and momentary. So look to the eternal and trust Jesus in the present, for he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we think and ask. Because Christ is sufficient, we can sing, The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's pray and then sing. Father, we ask that you would reveal to us our inadequacy, that you would reveal to us our sin. Help us to gaze upon Christ and your beauty, about how you are sufficient how you have made an end of all of our sin, how you've removed it as far as the east is from the west. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to be open and honest with our doubts and that we would trust you. We pray all this, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.